Hello there, and welcome to this week's episode of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories of classic books to help you get a good night's rest. Tonight, we continue with our journey through The Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. This is the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, a book which we have read in its entirety, and if you would like to hear that entire reading, that is part of your reward if you support this podcast on Patreon. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to join us, come to patreon.com slash down to sleep to join our sleepy little book club, where you'll get a bonus episode every single week, where we read things like Lord of the Rings, The Little Prince, and continue the books that we love, like Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, and more. So come and join us at patreon.com slash down to sleep. But otherwise, let's go ahead and tuck you in and begin tonight's adventure. This podcast is available on Spotify, as well as many other podcast apps, so whatever is most useful to you, please feel free to listen to it there. You can find all of the links and all of the information about this podcast at downtosleeppodcast.com. Alright, let's tuck you in and get ready to head through the looking glass one more time with Alice. Chapter 3. Looking Glass Insects Of course, the first thing to do was to make a grand survey of the country she was going to travel through. It's something very like learning geography, thought Alice, as she stood on tiptoe, in hopes of being able to see a little further. Principal rivers, there are none. Principal mountains, I'm on the only one. But I don't think it's got any name. Principal towns, why, what are those creatures making honey down there? They can't be bees. Nobody ever saw bees a mile off, you know. And for some time she stood silent, watching one of them that was bustling about among the flowers, poking its proboscis into them, just as if it was a regular bee, thought Alice. However, this was anything but a regular bee. In fact, it was an elephant, as Alice soon found out, though the idea quite took her breath away at first. What enormous flowers they must be, was her next idea. Something like cottages with roofs taken off and stalks put to them, and what quantities of honey they must make. I think I'll go down and... No, I won't just yet, she went on, checking herself just as she was beginning to run down the hill, trying to find some excuse for turning shy so suddenly. It'll never do to go down among them without a good long branch to brush them away. What fun it'll be when they ask me how I like my walk, I shall say. Oh, I like it well enough. Here came the favourite little toss of the head. Only it was so dusty and hot, and the elephants did tease so. I think I'll go down the other way, she said after a pause, and perhaps I may visit the elephants later on. Besides, I do so want to get into the third square. So with this excuse, she ran down the hill and jumped over the first of the six little brooks. "'Tickets, please,' said a guard, putting his head in at the window. In a moment, everybody was holding out a ticket. They were the same size as the people and quite seemed to fill the carriage. "'Now then, show your ticket, child,' the guard went on, looking angrily at Alice. And a great many voices all said together, like the chorus of a song, thought Alice. "'Don't keep him waiting, child. Why, his time is worth a thousand pounds a minute.' "'I'm afraid I haven't got one.' Alice said in a frightened tone. There wasn't a ticket office where I came from. Again the chorus of voices went on. There wasn't room for one where she came from. 
The land there is worth a thousand pounds an inch. Don't make excuses, said the guard. You should have bought one from the engine driver. Once more the chorus of voices went on with, The man that drives the engine. Why, the smoke alone is worth a thousand pounds a puff. Alice thought to herself, Then there's no use in speaking. The voices didn't join in this time as she hadn't spoken. But to her great surprise, they all thought in chorus. I hope you understand what thinking in chorus means, for I must confess that I don't. Better say nothing at all. Language is worth a thousand pounds a word. I shall dream about a thousand pounds tonight, I know I shall, thought Alice. All this time, the guard was looking at her. First through a telescope, then through a microscope, then through an opera glass. At last, he said, You're travelling the wrong way, and shut up the window and went away. So young a child, said a gentleman sitting opposite her, dressed in white paper, ought to know which way she's going, even if she doesn't know her own name. A goat that was sitting next to the gentleman in white shut his eyes and said in a loud voice, She ought to know her way to the ticket office, even if she doesn't know her alphabet. There was a beetle sitting next to the goat. It was a very queer carriage full of passengers altogether. When as the rule seemed to be that they should all speak in turn, he went on with, She'll have to go back from here as luggage. Alice couldn't see who was sitting beyond the beetle, but a hoarse voice spoke next. Change engines, it said, and was obliged to leave off. It sounds like a horse, Alice thought to herself, and an extremely small voice close to her ear said, You might make a joke on that. Something about horse and horse, you know. Then a very gentle voice in the distance said, She must be labelled lass with care, you know. And after that, other voices went on. What a number of people there are in the carriage, thought Alice, saying, She must go by post, as she's got a head on her. She must be sent as a message by the telegraph. She must draw the train herself the rest of the way. And so on. But the gentleman, dressed in white paper, leaned forwards and whispered in her ear, Never mind what they all say, my dear. Take a return ticket every time the train stops. Indeed, I shan't, Alice said, rather impatiently. I don't belong to this railway journey at all. I was in a wood just now, and I wish I could get back there. You might make a joke on that, said the little voice close to her ear. Something about you would if you could, you know. Don't tease so, said Alice, looking about in vain to see where the voice came from. If you're so anxious to have a joke made, why don't you make one yourself? The little voice sighed deeply. It was very unhappy, evidently, and Alice would have said something pitying to comfort it, if it would only sigh like other people, she thought. But this was such a wonderfully small sigh that she wouldn't have heard it at all if it hadn't come quite close to her ear. The consequence of this was that it tickled her ear very much and took off her thoughts from the unhappiness of the poor little creature. I know you are a friend, the little voice went on, a dear friend and an old friend, and you won't hurt me, though I am an insect. What kind of insect? Alice inquired a little anxiously, 
What she really wanted to know was whether it could sting or not, but she thought this wouldn't be quite a civil question to ask. What? Then you don't... The little voice began when it was drowned by a shrill scream from the engine. Everybody jumped up in alarm, Alice among the rest. The horse, who had put his head out of the window, quietly drew it in and said, It's only a brook we have to jump over. Everybody seemed satisfied with this, though Alice felt a little nervous at the idea of trains jumping at all. It'll take us into the fourth square, that's some comfort, she said to herself. In another moment she felt the carriage rise straight up into the air, and in her fright she caught at the thing nearest to her hand, which happened to be the goat's beard. The beard seemed to melt away as she touched it, and she found herself sitting quietly under a tree, while the gnat, for that was the insect that she had been talking to, was balancing itself on a twig just over her head, fanning her with its wings. It certainly was a very large gnat, about the size of a chicken, Alice thought. Still, she couldn't feel nervous with it after they had been talking together for so long. Then you don't like all insects, the gnat went on, as quietly as if nothing had happened. I like them when they can talk, Alice said. None of them ever talk where I come from. "'What sort of insects do you rejoice in where you come from?' the gnat inquired. "'I don't rejoice in insects at all,' Alice explained. "'I'm rather afraid of them, at least the large kinds, but I can tell you the names of some of them.' "'Of course, they answer to their names,' the gnat remarked carelessly. "'I never know them to do that.' "'What's the use of having names?' the gnat said, if they won't answer to them.' No use to them, said Alice, but it's useful to the people who name them, I suppose. If not, why do things have names at all? I can't say, the gnat replied. Further on in the wood down there, they've got no names. However, go on with your list of insects. You're wasting time. Well, there's the horsefly, Alice began, counting off names on her fingers. All right, said the gnat. Halfway up that bush, you'll see a rocking horsefly if you look. It's made entirely of wood. Gets about by swinging itself from branch to branch. What does it live on? Alice asked with a great curiosity. Sap and sawdust, said the gnat. Go on with the list. Alice looked up at the rocking horsefly with great interest and made up her mind that it must have been repainted. It looked so bright and sticky. She went on. There's a dragonfly. Look on the branches above your head, said the gnat. There you'll find a snap dragonfly. Its body's made of plum pudding. Its wings of holly leaves. Its head is a raisin burning in brandy. What does it live on? Frumenty and mince pie, the gnat replied. And it makes its nest in a Christmas box. Okay, and then there's the butterfly, Alice went on, after she had taken a good look at the insect with its head on fire, and thought to herself, I wonder if that's the reason insects are so fond of flying into candles. They want to turn into snap dragonflies. Crawling at your feet, said the gnat. Alice drew her feet back in some alarm. You may observe a bread and butterfly. Its wings are thin slices of bread and butter. Its body is a crust, its head a lump of sugar. What does it live on? 
weak tea with cream in it. A new difficulty came into Alice's head. Suppose it couldn't find any, she suggested. Then it'd die, of course. But that must happen very often, Alice remarked thoughtfully. It always happens, said the gnat. After this, Alice was silent for a moment or two, pondering. The gnat amused itself, humming around and round her head. At last it settled again and remarked, I suppose you don't want to lose your name. No, indeed, said Alice a little anxiously. And yet I don't know, the gnat went on in a careless tone. Only think how convenient it would be if you could manage to go home without it. For instance, if, if the governess wanted to call you to your lessons, she would call, Come here, and there she would have to leave off, because there wouldn't be any name for her to call. And of course you wouldn't have to go, you know. That would never do, I'm sure, said Alice. The governess would never think of excusing me from lessons for that. If she couldn't remember my name, she'd call me Miss, as the servants do. Well, if she said Miss and nothing more, of course you'd miss your lessons. That's a joke. I, I wish you had made it. Why do you wish I had made it? Alice asked. It's a very bad one. The gnat sighed deeply, and two large tears came rolling down its cheeks. You shouldn't make jokes, Alice said. If it makes you so unhappy... Then came another one of those little melancholy sighs. This time the poor gnat really seemed to have sighed itself away, for when Alice looked up, there was nothing whatever to be seen on the twig. As she was getting quite chilly with sitting still so long, she got up and walked on. She very soon came to an open field, with a wood on the other side of it. It looked much darker than the last wood. Alice felt a little timid about going into it. However, on second thoughts, she made up her mind to go on, for I certainly won't go back, she thought to herself. And this was the only way to the eighth square. This must be the wood, she said thoughtfully to herself, where things have no names. I wonder what will become of my name when I go in. I shouldn't like to lose it at all, because they'd have to give me another. It would be almost certain to be an ugly one. But then the fun would be trying to find the creature that got my old name. That's just like the advertisements, you know, when people lose dogs. Answers to the name of Dash had on a brass collar. Just fancy calling everything that you met Alice till one of them answered. Only they wouldn't answer at all if they were wise. She was rambling on in this way when she reached the wood. It looked very cool and shady. Well, at any rate, it's a great comfort, she said as she stepped under the trees, after being so hot to get into... Into what? She went on, rather surprised and not being able to think of the word. I mean, to get under the... Under the... Under this, you know, putting her hand on the trunk of a tree. What does it call itself, I wonder? I do believe it's got no name. To be sure, it hasn't. She stood silent for a minute, thinking, and then suddenly began again. It really has happened, after all, and who am I? I will remember if I can. I'm determined to do it. But being determined didn't help much. All she could say after a great deal of puzzling was, L, I, I know it begins with an L. 
Just then, a fawn came wandering by. It looked at Alice with its large, gentle eyes, but didn't seem at all frightened. Here then, here then, Alice said as she held out her hand and tried to stroke it. But it only started back a little, and stood looking at her again. What do you call yourself? The fawn said at last, such a soft, sweet voice it had. I wish I knew, thought poor Alice. She answered rather sadly. Nothing just now. Think again, it said. That won't do. Alice thought, but nothing came of it. Please, would you tell me what you call yourself, she said timidly. That might help a little. I'll tell you. If you'll move a little further on, the fawn said. I can't remember here. So they walked on together, through the wood, Alice with her arms clasped lovingly around the soft neck of the fawn, until they came into another open field. Here the fawn gave a sudden bound into the air, and shook itself free from Alice's arms. I'm a fawn, it cried out, in a voice of delight. And dear me, you're a human child. A sudden look of alarm came into its beautiful brown eyes, and in another moment it darted away at full speed. Alice stood looking after it, almost ready to cry with vexation at having lost her dear little fellow traveller so suddenly. However, I know my name now, she said. That's some comfort. Alice... Alice. I won't forget it again. And now, which of these finger posts ought I to follow, I wonder? It was not a very difficult question to answer, as there was only one road through the wood. The two finger posts both pointed along it. I'll settle it, Alice said to herself, when the road divides and they point different ways. But this did not seem likely to happen. She went on and on a long way. But wherever the road divided, there were sure to be two finger posts pointing the same way. One marked to Tweedledum's house, and the other to the house of Tweedledee. I do believe, said Alice at last, that they live at the same house. I wonder why I never thought of that before, but I can't stay there long. I'll just call and say, how do you do? Ask them the way out of the wood. If I could only get to the eighth square before it gets dark. She wandered on, talking to herself as she went, till, on turning a sharp corner, she came upon two fat little men. So suddenly she could not help starting back. But in another moment, she recovered herself, feeling sure that they must be. Chapter 4 Tweedledum and Tweedledee. They were standing under a tree, each with an arm around the other's neck. Alice knew which was which in a moment, because one of them had Dum embroidered on his colour and the other D. I suppose they've each got Tweedle around the back of the collar, she said to herself. They stood so still that she quite forgot they were alive. She was just looking around to see if the word Tweedle was written at the back of each collar when she was startled by a voice coming from the one marked Dumb. "'If you think we're waxworks,' he said, "'you ought to pay, you know. 
waxworks weren't made to be looked at for nothing, nohow. Contrary-wise, added the one Mark D., if you think we're alive, you ought to speak. I'm sure I'm very sorry, was all Alice could say, for the words of the old song kept ringing through her head like the ticking of a clock. She could hardly help saying them out loud. Tweedledum and Tweedledee agreed to have a battle, for Tweedledum said Tweedledee had spoiled his nice new rattle. Just then flew down a monstrous crow as black as a tar barrel, which frightened both the heroes, so they quite forgot their quarrel. I know what you're thinking about, said Tweedledum, but it isn't so, no how. Contrary-wise, continued Tweedledee, if it was so, it might be. If it were so, it would be. But as it isn't, it ain't. That's logic. I was thinking, said Alice very politely, which is the best way out of this wood? It's getting so dark, would you tell me, please? But the little men only looked at each other and grinned. They looked exactly like a couple of great schoolboys that Alice couldn't help pointing her finger at Tweedledum and saying, First boy. No how, Tweedledum cried out briskly and shut his mouth again with a snap. Next boy, said Alice, passing on to Tweedledee, though she felt quite certain he would only shout contrary-wise, and so he did. You've been wrong, cried Tweedledum. The first thing in a visit is to say, how'd you do, and shake hands. Here the two brothers gave each other a hug, and they held out two hands that were free to shake hands with her. Alice did not like shaking hands with either of them first for fear of hurting the other one's feelings. The best way out of the difficulty, she took hold of both hands at once. The next moment they were dancing around in a ring. This seemed quite natural, she remembered afterwards, and she was not even surprised to hear music playing. It seemed to come from the tree under which they were dancing and it was done as well as she could make out by the branches rubbing one across the other like fiddles and fiddlesticks. But it certainly was funny, Alice said afterwards when she was telling her sister the history of all this, to find myself singing, Here we go round the mulberry bush. I, I don't know where I began it, but somehow I felt as if I'd been singing it a long, long time. The other two dancers were fat and very soon out of breath. Four times round is enough for one dance, Tweedledum panted out. They left off dancing as suddenly as they had begun. The music stopped the same moment. They let go of Alice's hands and stood looking at her for a minute. There was a rather awkward pause. Alice didn't know how to begin a conversation with people that she had just been dancing with. It would never do to say, how do you do now, she said to herself. We seem to have got beyond that somehow. I hope you're not much tired, she said at last. No, how? Thank you very much for asking, said Tweedledum. So much obliged, said Tweedledee. You like poetry? Yes, pretty well. Some poetry, Alice said, doubtfully. Would you tell me which roads lead out of the wood? What shall I repeat to her, said Tweedledee looking round at Tweedledum with great solemn eyes and not noticing Alice's question. "'The walrus and the carpenter's the longest,' Tweedledum replied, giving his brother an affectionate hug. Tweedledee began instantly. 
The sun was shining. Here Alice ventured to interrupt him. If it's very long, she said as politely as she could, would you please tell me first which road? Tweedledee smiled gently and began again. And that is where we're going to close the book on tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you enjoyed this reading of Through the Looking Glass with Alice, and that you'll join me next week as we go on many more adventures together. And if once a week isn't enough adventures for you, or you would like to hear the extended version of this reading, then please do come and join me on the Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep, where you can support the podcast and get a bunch of rewards for doing so, including extended and bonus episodes. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, wherever you're listening, wherever you are in the world. I appreciate you, and I hope that you get the sleep that you need and deserve. Until next week, thank you, and good night.